glass, ice, pour. Hello and welcome to Whiskey and Rye. I am your host, Ryan Charles Brown, and I am very happy to be here on this first episode of this brand new podcast uh, that I have been thinking and dreaming about for quite some time. And uh, I'm very happy to bring you this first episode and to be with you and to bring you on this new journey as I dive deeper in in figuring out what it means to be a man today. Uh, Thinking about rites of passage into manhood, thinking about masculinity, thinking about what it means to be a man, how to be a better man, and all of those good things. So very excited to uh, kick this show off with this first episode. Uh, This idea was uh, something that came about, about, man, it's been almost... A year and a half, maybe two years, I was sitting at a bar with my friend Peter Rollins, uh, who is an amazing author, philosopher, uh, also a fellow podcaster, but I know him more from his uh, his speaking engagements and his, his work. He's written some great books, uh, How Not to Speak of God, Fidelity of Betrayal, um, just to name a few. Um, but we were sitting at, uh, at a bar in North Hollywood, and I was talking with him about uh, this old podcast that I was doing, the Mission Podcast. Uh, this was a sort of faith-based social justice podcast that I was doing. And, um, you know, I, I sort of hit a wall with that podcast, or I kind of hit a ceiling, I guess, where I, I didn't really know where to go. Um, my my faith is something that's very important to me, but, you know, talking about church and opportunities for the church to do better and all those things, I just felt like that's a conversation that I want to have more individually. And this was happening all the time as I was driving for Uber. I'm driving people around uh, Los Angeles, talking with them about my faith, talking about my journey to manhood, kind of asking myself these rhetorical questions through conversation with them. And I noticed that a lot of these people that I was talking with were were really connecting with the things that I was saying, uh, specifically the men. As I was sharing my story about becoming a man and these questions I was having, they were sharing with me that they were experiencing the same thing or had experienced the same version of that in their life. So this idea of rites of passage into manhood, what does it mean to be a man today and in the future? Um, if we're going to have kids, uh, you know, what type of fathers are we going to be and how are we going to raise our kids uh, in this culture that's changing so rapidly? Um, as I'm having these conversations that I'm not the only one feeling this way. And so um, when I partnered this with this uh, idea of, you know, me wanting to have conversations that were very deep and would actually in, encourage change and, w- and would would provide um, a foundation for for conversations to happen that would improve some of the conditions of our culture. Um, all of these uh, things started to line up, and I was realizing that whiskey and rye uh, could come. A lot of the conversations, a lot of the inspiration could come from all of these rides that I've have I've been doing over six thousand at this time, having thousands of conversations with strangers, realizing that all of this uh, work that I've been doing uh, is has not been for nothing. You know, you, you think when you're a rideshare driver, like, oh, I'm just driving people around like this is a grind, but I've actually had the ability to talk with thousands of people and do so much kind of underground research and talk with people in, in a very sort of intimate setting, but it, there was nothing to lose, you know? I mean, they were in the car for a certain amount of time and then they were gone and that was the end of it. So it was really a safe space um, to talk about some some deep topics. And, and I'm very thankful for the people that opened up and were able to share with me. So so as I was moving forward um, with thinking about what I wanted to do next after ending the mission podcast, I'm driving for Uber, giving these 
rides all over having these thousands of conversations. What I'd realized is that this podcast, this idea for this podcast, actually, um, I've been working on it for several years. And I really started to think about these ideas of what it means to be a man and how to raise a son. But before that, I was doing work on myself. Um, when I met my wife, uh, when we were dating, she introduced me to um, some really great resources and she introduced me to some really helpful language that made me feel like I understood myself a little bit more as a man and helped me understand my part in our relationship. And I understood what true partnership meant. And um, I'm really grateful for all the things that she shared with me. And so I'd been on this journey of becoming a better man myself. And um, it was as I was driving for, uh, for Lyft at the time, um, I was kind of going through these, these explorative moments. And uh, with the Lyft platform, you know, you meet people from all over the world. It's a rideshare platform and I'm here in Los Angeles. So I'm picking up people at LAX coming in from all over the world. And, um, you know, one of the most frequent questions I'm asked uh, when people get in the car is, well, what do you do? And uh, so, you know, um, what I do is I, I, I'm a rideshare driver, you know, I drive for Lyft, I drive for Uber and I raise my son, but I'm, I'm really interested in this idea of, uh, of masculinity and what it means to be a man today. And I'm specifically interested in this idea of rites of passage because, um, I don't really, I can't identify a clear like ritual or types of, um, like a rite of passage for men in America. Uh, if you talk to people who are Jewish um, or if you talk to other cultures, Latin America, even some African cultures, there there is rites of passage um, to where young people are named by their elders as an adult now. You're, you're, you're a grown-up, you're, you're a man or you're a woman or you're a young man or a young woman or whatever that looks like. And, and you know, um, we don't really have that here in America. And so, as I kind of asked myself this question, when did I become a man? Um, I answered that in a couple of different ways and they were at two different points in my life and both were a little traumatic, if I could be honest. Um, so the first time that I would say that I became a man is when I, I would say when my parents were divorced when I was nine, I think I became a man then because a lot of people, you know, were using that man of the house phrase and, um, there was a lot of responsibility. You know, people were using that word a lot, responsibility. You have a lot of responsibility now. I'm like a nine-year-old kid. Uh, my whole world just came un, un, like unhinged. And people are telling me, like, I got to step up and be responsible now and, like, take care of my family. Like, what the fuck? Like, my, I want to cry because I just, I, I miss my dad. You know what I mean? Like, um, so that was traumatic. And so I kind of had to, like, bootstrap it up, you know? And I think that's something that you know, a lot of men my age, um, I'm a, I'm a zillennial. Uh, I was born in 83, so I'm not Gen X. Um, but I'm not really a millennial. I'm like in this weird gap area. Um, and I think there's a lot of Gen Xers, zillennials and millennials, um, early millennials like myself who they are going to come from divorce. Um, they're going to have experienced this. And so I think a lot of men will probably have been given that same narrative of being responsible. You got to be responsible for your family and um, you got to be a man right now, you know? And I think that's, man, that's a heavy burden to carry when you're uh, not even a teenager yet. So that was one. And then another time would probably be when I lost my virginity. Um, and I was 15 when I lost my virginity. Um, I, I couldn't even drive yet, you know? And so, even in that situation, um, it was really, um, 
you know, it's supposed to be a beautiful moment, you know, uh, in my generation, we had movies like American Pie and, you know, uh, Can't Hardly Wait and, you know, all these movies that were like centered around losing your virginity, which I'll probably do a segment about how those movies were like very rapey and, and actually kind of contributed to um, toxic masculinity because all those movies are about men just seeking sex from women and they're like going to get it no matter what, you know, it's like against all odds, like senior, you know, it's senior prom, we're going to get laid no matter what. And it's like, that's something that, that men that if like we go, if we continue to like breed that culture, like that's so damaging because I guarantee you girls aren't going into their senior prom. Like we got to have sex tonight, girls. Like (laughs) it's about the, uh, from what I remember and from the conversations I've had, it's more about the community. It's about the experience. It's about, um, it's about, you know, growing as a group. It's not just about, you know, giving up your V card. So, um, so anyway, lost my virginity at a young age. Did I become a man then? Absolutely not. Because the way that I lost my virginity was not manly. Um, and, when I think about the situation, it, it just, it wasn't good. And so, um, not that it wasn't good. It just wasn't good because I, for the fact that I was young, I was ill-prepared and I didn't know what it meant. Um, I didn't know what I was doing and then I didn't know what it meant and I didn't know how it would make me feel and all of these things. Like I wasn't ready for it. And so when I think about me becoming a man, I became a man if I were to point to both of those, if I, if I were to say those were the times, then those, those are pretty traumatic times. And so if I think about it, I became a man in trauma. I became a man during a time of anxiety. So if that's my foundation as a man, then, then I'm going to be a traumatic man. I'm going to be an anxious man. And so if, if men enter into masculinity or enter into manhood without this proper, like, no, you're coming in in a positive way. Like if we enter in, in a negative way, how do you expect men to overcome that on their own um, without any tools? Like it's very difficult. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing these movements pop up where women are like, all right, fine, men, you're f- trying to figure out how to do it. Well, we'll show you how to do it. And while that is very, very helpful, we live in a time where um, it's not, it, it's not work. It's not progressive work. If all men are doing is just kind of passing the buck onto women and saying, all right, well, you, we can't figure it out, but you can. So we'll just, you teach us like, and so I think when you, when movements pop up like me too, and, uh, and church too, and, and these movements that are highlighting sexual abuse and sexual assault and toxic masculinity, I think sometimes men take a back seat in those movements. Like, all right, cool. We're just, we're just here for the ride. Like we'll pull up, uh, pull up a chair. We'll grab some popcorn and we'll, we're here for the show. We'll attend the marches and we'll, you know, we'll wave our flags, but you know, it, it, it can't really end there. Like there's no work there's not a lot of work that's being done. You know, there's not a lot of like boots on the ground, like organizations that are really like stepping into a space saying like, all right, you know, you women in, in, in groups have named this toxic masculinity. Like this has been put out there. So, so we're actually going to work to dismantle that. And, and that's a lot of what I'm looking to do here on the podcast is to, to actually actively dismantle toxic masculinity by talking about simple things like the fact that American pie was a very, very popular movie that probably contributed and continues today to contribute to rape culture and sexual assault within college students. Um, And this was a movie that I enjoyed and watched several times. Um, 
unwilling, unknowingly participating in this um, rape culture, truthfully, like, let's just call it, sorry for the trigger word, but like, let's be honest, like, that's what it's, that's what it's highlighting. It's focusing on the fact that men, when they reach a certain age, when they go into college, that they can, if they haven't lost their virginity, they're not a man, so they got to do it. And whoever just happens to be in their path, uh, if, I got, I, I got to stop because I'm just getting, getting eerie just even thinking about that because that's what toxic masculinity does to me. It makes me feel disgusting. It makes me feel like I'm wearing this slimy coat of shit and like it's permeating our world. And so like, we got to stop. So got off track a little bit. Um, a lot of this first episode is me. Um, I really want you folks to get comfortable with me. If you've been following along in the mission podcast, you know me a little bit, but odds are this is the first time you've heard my voice. And so I want you to know a little bit about me and, and, Part of who I am is I'm someone that talks uh, passionately about things and I, I sometimes go on tangents. So I do my best with my notes here to try to bring it back in. But like sometimes I just go on stuff and, and maybe that's like my church background where I kind of get charismatic and evangelical. But um, <laughs> so I kind of went off on a tangent there about American Pie, which was um, unnecessary. But I want to go back to where I was um, kind of having this having this idea about rites of passage. Um, so I I uh, I was reflecting on these two things as rites of passage, and I was like, no, those those don't sound like the those don't sound like the ideal entrances into manhood for me. And so I was wondering, like, am I alone in this? Like, um, are there other men out there that feel like that, or, or did did other men? Like, maybe I'm missing a rite of passage. Like, did I just miss it? Is it something my family didn't participate in? Like, I don't know. What's going on? Like, so I did what I what I love to do, and I just talked to people. And so as I'm driving for uh, Lyft, um, I just started talking with people. You know, they asked me, oh, what do you do? Well, I, I'm searching for ideas about what it means to be a man, and I'm looking to provide resources for men out there to be better men. And so this conversation uh, sparked a lot of interest in people. And so I was actually, um, I'm trying to look at my total. So between Lyft and Uber over the past three years, I've given 7,000 rides. Um, I've given rides to people from 30 different countries. Um, and I've talked to people from all over the world. And um, I've had this, this conversation about masculinity and what it means to be a man with men from all over the world. And what I've uncovered is many, there's a lot of men out there that are unable to point to the moment they became a man, nor are they really able to tell me what they think healthy masculinity looks like, you know? Um, they can identify toxic masculinity, um, and the thing that I've really noticed too is that when they can identify toxic masculinity, they can identify areas that they subtly participate in. And I think that's where real breakthroughs starting to happen is when there's men who are like myself who think like, no, I'm a, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of like a board. I'm gonna, I would call myself a feminist. Like I'm all about the women. Um, that might be true, but you may still be participating. Uh, subtly in an oppressive culture um, by, by I don't know, a number of ways. And I think one of the ways we participate is by not having conversations and not talking about things and not giving the full story of sexual assault and, and for sort of um, glorifying um, 
the the sort of masculine ability to procreate and uh, having these discussions about pro-life and pro-choice and all these things. You know, we talk about women's sexuality and their bodies as if they they don't own them, <laughs> you know? And um, men do that just casually. They don't, they don't really recognize it, but it's very real. It's very, it's very real. Like it happens. Uh, and it's, it's a problem. So I think one of the things that I'm doing here on the podcast is stepping into that space and doing the work. I talked about doing the work and, and really saying like, we got to call some of these things out and it's going to be tense and it's going to be hard. And when I was having these conversations with my Lyft passengers uh, and my Uber passengers, like it was, it wasn't tense in the car, but like you could feel that there was some sort of synergy happening where ideas were being exchanged, seeds were being planted. And these, this idea of like being a better man or becoming a better man was really starting to take shape uh, with individuals. So, um, so having these conversations, uh, and I'm continually having these conversations. I now drive for Uber um, and I drive nights. So I'm driving six nights a week and I'm having these conversations about what it means to be a man and rites of passage and um, exploring all my, you know, my ideas of, um, of masculinity. And, um, it's been great to have my perspective broadened and to have my ideas challenged and to have all of the, um, feedback and, and encouragement and, and different things from, from these individuals, because it's helped bring me to this space right here where, um, I'm, I'm looking to do something with this, with the, uh, podcast, I'm looking to do what I, what we call holding the container. Um, it's something that I've heard from my wife. Um, she has learned a lot from a woman named Allison Armstrong. Uh, she's got a great organization called PAX for Men. Uh, understandingmen.com is her website. And I'll put that in the show notes. But she talks about holding the container. And this is something I also talked about with my therapist, Dr. Carl, who's going to be a guest on, one, on, a, on an upcoming episode. We talked about this idea of holding um, holding space for for ideas and for things to happen and for significant change to happen. So like we live in a time right now where we're talking about so many things like uh, systematic uh, injustices, like racism, oppression. You know, there are um, shootings uh, within religious communities. There's a rise in white supremacy uh, in America. And a lot of times these conversations are had with like, well, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to fix this? How are we going to make this go away? And I think those are important conversations to have, but I also think some issues are so difficult and so polarizing that you can't, you can't just bring everybody to the table and expect them to all play nice and to all like, you know, be on the same page and, and have respect for one another unless uh, you do some work before then, you know, there has to be like pre-conversations, there has to be pre-work. And so that's where you really hold the space. And so um, I've been doing some volunteering in this time um, when I've been, you know, raising Reese and, you know, I've not been able to look for work. And so um, just driving for Uber has been my main, my main pay. And so um, uh, I've been volunteering as a way to network and build, you know, my my community of people that are doing good work. And so um, one of the things that I really appreciate about the volunteers and the organizers that, I, um, that I've worked with is that they put in a lot of work beforehand um, to make sure that people 
are bringing their best self into the space that they're coming into. And I think that's like, that's really important when we're talking about having conversations about some of these things. Like if you're going to step into a room with survivors of sexual abuse and say, how can we come up with a solution? Um, you can't just like step into that space or excuse me, I don't want to say you can't, you shouldn't step into that space and say, okay, we're here. We're providing you the thing. Teach us how we're, teach us how we can be better. Um, I think that is uh, that's approach that's outdated. I think that's a, an approach that groups have been getting by with for a while is like, Hey, we know that we messed up. So we're going to do something relatively insignificant to kind of show that we're sorry and we're not going to really learn from this thing, but um, we're going to do this to show you that like we're at least aware of it. And, you know, efforts like that were applauded, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, but like we live in a day and age now where it's like put up or shut up. If you're not, if you're not really interested in learning like this whole like facade of pretending that you're into something, but not really being into it. I see this in my world. I see this a lot with churches who are quote unquote open, but unaffirming, meaning that they are, they're open to letting um, people who are homosexual worship there, but they're not accepting of their lifestyles, meaning they don't um, encourage them to get married. They don't encourage them to receive benefits. They don't um, incorporate their perspective into their, their theology. And I just think that it's so, that is so damaging. And that type of mentality is so damaging because what you're doing is you're saying like, we want you to be a part of our community, but you can't really be your full self when you come here. You got to be like a pretend version of yourself. And so when we're having these very difficult conversations about masculinity, it's really important to bring your full self in this. And so I understand that, that might take a little bit of pre-conversations. And so, um, to do some of the work that we're going to talk about here, these episodes uh, will hopefully serve as like your pre-conversation. Like, I hope you hear things in these episodes that you resonate with, and there might be a thing that that might bring up some tension with you. And I hope that you don't run away from that tension because I got some really wise advice from someone that said, you know, sometimes tension produces your best results um, because you really get to know who you are. And I feel that way about myself, like as you know, uh, I, I moved to LA with the hopes of being a musician. Um, and then that didn't work out. And then I've just been kind of just trying to find community and all these things. I've gone through so much crap. And for so long, I was looking at my life and thinking like, my life is just a pile of dirt. Like I don't have what I want. I've had to give up music. I've had to give up all these things. But what I've realized is my life is not a pile of dirt. My life uh, everything that I'm going through, my experiences are, 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 are putting all this stuff on me to put pressure on me because what I have growing inside of me is a diamond. And once that diamond is fully formed, all of this dirt and all of these other things that I've gone through are going to wash away. And all that's going to be left is this pure form of love and acceptance and compassion. That is who I truly am. And that's what I'm capable of. And that's what every single human is capable of. We all have this divine spirit within us. I, I put out this quote on my, on the Instagram today for whiskey and rye pod to be human is to be divine. And I am probably not the first person to say that. And I Googled that quote and there's qu quotes that are similar to that. But I think 
to, to be human is to be divine. What that really means is that as, as we, we are all humans, we all know that we're all part of the human race. We are all born with something special and something divine within us. And it, until we allow life and pressure and tension and all of this shit in our lives to, to really encompass us and to, to, to really like force us into this uncomfortable place, it's only until that happens to where the diamond will begin to grow. And then once we're in this place of tension, once you feed that and once you allow yourself to stay there and you go through the process, you know, trust the process. That's a phrase that's used a lot. Sorry, Philadelphia process didn't work for you, but, um, that was a 76ers reference. Sorry for the sports reference. Um, but you got to trust the process and know that there is a diamond within all of us. That's what I'm trying to say. There's a diamond within all of us. There's a diamond within me. There's a diamond with every man. There's a diamond within every woman. We're all human. We're all divine. And it's our tension and our shit and our crap and our life and our struggle and all those things that we hate that we're trying to avoid. All of those things if you think about it, all of those things can actually produce more of a result than you than anything that you can buy, steal, try, borrow, rip off, whatever. It's all within you. It's within it's within us. So one of the things that I have the unique ability to do is hold the container, is to hold the space for people to have difficult conversations. I like to mediate difficult conversations because again, at the end of the day, I believe in humanity and I believe in the fact that even if you put two people at a table who are at polar opposites, if you come to that table with love and compassion and respect, you will do good work. Even if you don't come to a solution that both people are um, happy with or, or, or they consider it a win, if you can create a bond of peace and harmony within those individuals who don't agree with each other, then I don't even think it really matters what it happens at the table. If you can bring two people together, they can shake hands and say, Hey, I respect you. Thank you. I respect you. That, that is divine. The divine lives there. And if you believe in God, there's, there's God, mother, God, father, God, there she is, there he is. Um, so, um, so holding the, so in thinking about holding the container, one of the things that, uh, I mentioned that is really interesting to me in, in terms of becoming a man is this idea of a rite of passage. When do we become men? How, how are we, how are we no, acknowledged by our society, by our elders, by our, by our community, by our tribe, if you use that word, how do we know, you know, and I'm sure to use tribe, I'm sure in Native American cultures, there is a rite of passage um, into manhood, into being uh, a man. And, and then I'm sure there's another rite of passage to being then an elder, um, a, a, a someone who provides wisdom to the to the community. And so I, uh, I hope to connect to, I have a few guests in mind uh, that I would love to connect with. And so I, I hope to connect to, uh, with some folks from the Native community, because I think in terms of rites of passage and what it means to be a man, they will be able to share so much um, in terms of what their culture does that I think would be really helpful and really interesting. And I also hope to connect with people from um, Africa and Latin America, because I know that there are rites of passage um, in, in many countries uh, in those areas that, um, that I think would be really interesting and, and to learn um, to learn about the ritual and to learn what it means to the individual and then how it connects them to the community, I think is a really beautiful thing because that's another part of rites of passage is that, that it, it, it grafts you into uh, a group of people so that we were not just out here alone. And when I think about 
when I think about men who are alone in the world, just striving and seeking for things, that's when you see terror happen. That's when you see school shootings. That's when you see um, shootings at mosques. That's when you see abduction. That's when you see human trafficking is when there are men that are out there alone, no idea that they're a man or when they became a man and they are struggling. And that's where evil, that's where evil comes from. Not all the evil, but I promise you that's where evil, evil comes from that. Evil comes from men who have no idea who they are and are alone and without community. Um, so I, I just think it's really important to think about these rites of passage within grafting you into community because it's, it's not, it's, it's an easy statement to say like the world, the world needs men. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing with the answer is like, well, let's just get rid of all the men. We'll be fine. No, no, no. The world needs men just like the world needs women for obvious reasons. There were men and women created for this planet. Like we have our responsibility. Like it's not about one being better than the other, but right now we live in a time where men um, we're making it very difficult for the world to move forward, uh, and we're making difficult we're making it difficult for our partners and our and the women um, in our lives and and uh, the other men in our life. You know, if we're not, if I don't want to even talk, just like I, I use a lot of cisgender heteronormative language, but that's I, I'm also very aware that there are much, uh, there, there are a lot of nuances in masculinity within the LGBTQ community. And I, and I hope to, uh, connect with those people because I want to, I want to learn how to convey that to other men, because those, those talks about masculinity will help inform other men's talks about masculinity, because I promise you there's going to be parallels. And I imagine that a conversation between someone who is homophobic and someone who is gay, if you talked about, if you put them together and you didn't tell them like, hey, this person's gay, hey, this person's homophobic, and you just had a conversation about, hey, when, what was your passage into manhood like? What was your passage into manhood like? I bet you there would be some parallels. And I I bet you if at the end of it, you revealed to the other person who they were, they wouldn't care. I, I, I just, you know, and I wish, I wish that someone would be able to do that experiment. And I know for ethical reasons, you wouldn't be able to do that. But I just, I have to believe in humanity that if you were to do that, and then you, if you were to reveal their, you know, quote unquote, authentic self after that, that the conversation that they just had about being men and the struggles being men would overshadow the fact that one doesn't believe in a certain thing and that one is um, living out their truest self uh, in this manner. I just don't think it would matter. Um, and, and, you know, again, maybe that's my blind hope in humanity, but um, I don't know. So I, you know, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm opening up this conversation uh, with this intro episode and this idea of um, what does it mean to, to be a man today when we don't know, uh, when we don't know that we've become men, when we are absent of a rite of passage. And I'm also interested in like, what are some synonyms for masculinity? What is, um, you know, I asked a passenger, you know, what is the synonym for masculinity? And he said, he said virility. Um, so kind of the ability to procreate. And, um, you know, I think that's very telling, right? Like, again, we're, we're putting masculinity all around one thing, really, and that's the penis, the penis and the testes, you know? Is that really what defines me as a man, my penis and my testicles? Uh some would say yes, some would say no. Um, 
I don't know. I think I fall somewhere. I think I fall somewhere in the middle. I think I'm still on that, that area of exploration. That's still a TBD for me. I still need to have more conversations because my gut, truthfully, my gut says that I am not a man just because I have external genitalia. I think I'm a man because of a number of factors. And I'm willing, I, I, I'm looking to step into this space and talk about that. And I'm looking to have some, probably some uncomfortable conversations with people who share different perspectives than me and who may or may not agree with my willingness to explore this topic. But you know what? That in that positivity will happen. You know, maybe I'll be that person on the other side of the table that like, they're like, I couldn't disagree with you more. But if I'm willing to come to the table and say, that's fine. I want to just learn and talk. And it's not about, it's not about agreeing or getting you onto my side or getting me onto your side. It's just about, it's just about people talking and creating positivity and and just allowing a spark of positivity to be born. Um, That is divine because like I said, to be human is to be divine. If we are to remain human, Uh, we need to understand that we have to remain divine as well. So that wraps up our first episode of Whiskey and Rye. I really appreciate you tuning in. Want to give a shout out to The Deep West for providing the music for this podcast. Make sure to follow them on Instagram at The Deep West and keep an eye out for their music, which will be available on all streaming platforms soon. The Deep West, they are amazing. Make sure you check them out. Um, Also want to give a shout out to Podbean. They are a great hosting service. They're also great if you are a fan of podcasts you enjoy listening to various shows they have great content on there make sure you check them out download the podbean app uh, and you can find that app store and android um really excited to release part two uh you don't have to wait long uh you can come right back around tomorrow and i'm going to be releasing part two of the uh launch of whiskey and rye going to go a little bit deeper into my personal story uh and share a little bit more about the um idea of whiskey and rye uh and uh, specifically how it interacts with the ride share um because again as i said i've given at this point over six thousand rides i've talked with thousands of people from all over the world uh, about my journey I've been able to hear about their journey, the parallels between the two, uh, and it's just so amazing to see how um, this idea of dismantling toxic masculinity is growing, and uh, I'm very happy to be a part of it here on Whiskey and Rye, and I thank you for joining along with me. Uh, You can follow along on social media. Uh, We are on Twitter at Whiskey and Rye Pod, and also on Instagram at Whiskey and Rye Pod. Uh, Would love to have you interact with us there as well on Twitter. On Instagram, post a lot of... um, quotes from the guests and you can see about uh, some behind the scenes things if you like pictures and taking a look at what we do uh, here behind the scenes at Whiskey and Rye. So thank you so much for tuning into this first episode. Until next time, we raise a glass to you. Cheers. Cheers.